2 Kings 2, begin reading in verse 19. The Bible says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not in the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they put it uh, to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters, and there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. The title of this message is Waters of Mercy. But I have a question as we kind of think of this passage today. Do you consider yourself a green thumb? Do you have a green thumb? Anyone gardeners here? I have a brown thumb, all right? It's, <laughs> I get off to a good start and it just doesn't go much from there. But anyways, but even with the best gardeners, and some might be present here, even with the best gardeners, there are definitely great challenges to gardening. Uh, perhaps you've tried to plant a garden and uh, it just never seemed to take off. Maybe the soil wasn't just right or the weather didn't cooperate. That's Minnesota for you, right? <laughs> so, but uh, anyways, as we look at that passage and as we look at that thought, uh, as we consider the ancient city of Jericho, we understand that there was people who experienced definitely bad crops because of bad water. And that's kind of where we're looking at, especially in verse uh, verse 19 here, it says, the city is pleasant or, or good, as my Lord see it, but the water is not or is bad and the ground is barren or is literally miscarrying. It's, it's just not fruitful. And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. So kind of again to set the stage of where we're at, we've been doing several messages over the past few weeks about uh, basically stories that took place in Jericho and seeing the mercy of God that was uh, present there, uh, either through the works that were done or in the lives of people. And we're going to see that definitely how God's mercy was shown through his man, Elisha, the prophet. Okay? Elisha probably doesn't get as much focus as perhaps Elijah, uh, his predecessor, but God used him in a great way nonetheless, and that's something that we should take notice of. So as we think about that again, Jericho is right here, near, just north of the, uh, the Dead Sea. Remember, Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's about 850 feet below sea level in elevation. And remember, you are about just about 18 miles or so from Jerusalem. Again, Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. So again, it's a very uh, distinct difference in elevation between the two. But it's in Jericho where we famously know, we talked about this last week, about the story of Rahab. The thing we know Jericho the best of is what? Of Joshua in the Battle of Jericho and the walls come a-tumbling down. That's what we know it best of. But here's another story that we're reading today that also takes place in Jericho and in that area. And I think it's really important as we see that. So this is what Jericho looks like today. It's a population just around 20,000 people that live there in Jericho. And again, Jericho is under the, under the Palestinian Authority, largely because of the Oslo Accords that took place back in the early 90s. And so the Palestinian Authority has the governance over that. So if you are a Jewish Israeli, you are not allowed to go into Jericho. Uh, because of that, just because of the, the po politics and everything that there is there in the region. But nonetheless, Jericho is a city from the Bible times that still is there today. In fact, it's probably the oldest inhabited city. And we're going to find out more of that today. But again, this is something I want to show last week in our story. But uh, I want us to go back in time to the late 90s, 90, 97 to be exact. And there was a, an ancient traveler. This is not Marty McFly. This happens to be your pastor. 
in high school. But anyways, here I am on a camel. All right, Brian, we were talking about that. So camel riding. So there's the proof. Okay, so here I am riding a camel as a teenager. All right, and here behind me is Tel Jericho, where the walls came and tumbled down right behind me. Okay, so kind of interesting. So there's proof that I've been there, all right, <laughs> but some years ago. But nonetheless, so if you go to Jericho today, you can take a camel ride, all right, right at the foot of where Joshua and the children of Israel marched around the city. Pretty cool. All right, so again, we know the, uh, Jericho best because of the fall of Jericho, because of what Joshua did there. And that story does have importance to what we are talking about today. You remember after Joshua, when Joshua conquered Jericho, he told the people, do not touch anything. It's accursed, okay? Whoever touches it, they will face the, the you know, damage upon their head. Of course, we know the story. Achan took the, the, those goods which really belonged to the Lord. In fact, he took them for himself. And of course, he and his family were killed because of what they tried to do to dishonor the Lord and what was rightfully his. Nonetheless, this is what we know of Jericho. And so here is a, uh, actually a, where I was at with the camel was just, just over this hill right here. And so right here you can see the, actually the watchtower that is here from the days of Joshua and the bricks that were here. So this actually is from that time period. So you're looking right at it, at the walls of Jericho, which I think is just absolutely amazing. Okay? So today, though, I want us to take you to Elisha. So again, when we think of Elisha the prophet... Uh, we don't necessarily think of Jericho too much, but an amazing thing happened here. We read here just a few moments ago the passage when uh, through Josh or through, through Elisha that the waters of Jordan or of Jericho were healed, and uh, in fact, you know they couldn't do much with the water; it was bad, couldn't grow crops or anything. It was worthless. Okay, uh, and so, anyways, as you think about it, J- Joshua or excuse me, Elisha heals these waters. Put some salt in it, and today you could actually go and it's Elisha's spring, Elisha's fountain. How do we know this is Elisha's spring? Because there's a sign that says that. <laughs> but it is, but definitely is an ancient spring, and of course it's been beautified and modif- modified a little bit today. But this is this is the spring, and where is this spring at? It's actually just at the foot of Tel Jericho or Tel Sultan is the name of it archaeologically. And so it's right there at the foot of where ancient Jericho was, and that is where it's today. But we see here at this site that you can go today, put your hands in it, and experience this, the Bible coming to life. And you can experience that today. And so this is our, what we look at today as far as the waters of mercy. So here's something very important as we look at this. The people of Jericho, as we, as we consider... What took place here with Elisha uh, being aware or being brought to his attention that the waters of, of Jericho needed to be taken care of, they, they cried out to him. So here's the thing. They experienced bad, bad crops because of bad water. Here's what Jericho needed. The people of Jericho needed the work of God through the man of God to intervene. And at the perfect time, God heard their cry and they enjoyed waters of mercy. I like what Matthew Henry, he comments on this. And he says that water is a common mercy. We kind of take it for granted. Being in the land of 10,000 lakes, of course, we know there's more than that. But in a, land, in a state, at least, that is, has an abundance of water, even years when we do have drought, you can still find a fishing hole somewhere. All right? We kind of take it for granted. I'll never forget the first time uh, I went to Israel. Uh, actually, it was the same year that the camel picture was taken there. And flying into Ben-Gurion Airport outside of Tel Aviv, and you look out and you see it was so spotted and, and white out there. At first, my dad and I thought, 
looks like there's snow out here. It's not. It's rock. It's such an arid, it's a semi-desert country. And of course, you go farther south in Israel, it's all desert. And so, in ancient times especially, water was extremely important. If you don't have water, it's hard to function. It's hard to survive. And so, wherever there was a body of water, there was rivers, there was streams, there were springs, there were cisterns. Whatever you could do to collect water to use is extremely important. You can't really have a city if you don't have a good water supply. That's pure and simple, okay? By the way, think of in ancient times. How do you, if you were a conquering uh, army, how would you defeat a city? Put a siege around it. But if you cut off a water supply, it wouldn't take very long before that city would surrender, okay? King Hezekiah, great story right there. Uh, you can read about that uh, later if you want. But anyways, I want to kind of direct your attention today of why this is such a big deal as we see Elijah's miracle that it took place here of the healing of the waters at Jericho and, and what I consider the waters of mercy. Hold your place here in 2 Kings 2, and I want you to go back to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. In this passage that we're going to look at, we are going to see what I is important. I want us to help... Help us understand uh, how to read our Bible. A lot of times, like I said, we take, and we kind of talked about this last week with the story of Rahab a little bit. But in, in the scriptures, a lot of times when people read the Bible, they read stories at a time. And if you think about it, it's kind of disjointed when you look at the rest of the Bible. And so kind of the purpose of what we're going to do right now is I want us to, I want to encourage you how to read your Bible and looking at the, the author, the, what we call the authorial intent, the writers of this, they had a purpose in mind, obviously through the inspiration of, of, the, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they write this, but it's really important to know this. So look with me in 1 Kings 16, verse 34, the last verse of that chapter. And it says here, In his days, talking about Ahab, In his days did Heel the Bethelite build Jericho, and, lay, and he laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates of thereof of the youngest, Seguv, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay? So this verse is very important. What do we have here? In the time of King Ahab, there was a man from Bethel, which is just a little bit north of Jericho, Hiel, and he rebuilt the city of Jericho. And because of that, what happened? His firstborn and his youngest died in the construction of it, just as Joshua said so back in Joshua chapter 6. Okay, remember he puts a curse on the rebuilding of that city. So this is really important. Now, why do we look at this verse, especially as we talk about Jericho and the, and the healing of the waters? It's because this, if you, if you just take a, a broad glance at the book of 1 Kings for several chapters uh, before this, you read about this list of kings of Israel. Remember that after King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided with ten northern tribes and then Judah, basically. And so uh, the, the southern tribes, they had Rehoboam as their first king. And by the way, uh, here's the, this is important to understand here. Northern, northern Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, which you have Jeroboam, who is the first king of that, there were 20 kings during the time of, of, um, uh, of northern Israel before Assyria came and took them in captivity. In southern Israel, which is Judah, you had 19 kings and one queen, the wicked queen Athaliah. 
So that's something to keep in mind, and that's up until the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. Okay? So keep that in mind. But in the way that 1 Kings is written, that up until this point, up until this verse, you have this whole list of several chapters of kings that, what do they do? They did wickedly in the sight of the Lord. They did it after Jeroboam, their father, and later even after Ahab, their father. And so as you think about this, there was a very bad situation spiritually uh, that was going on in Israel, northern Israel at this time. And he had that for, for chapters and chapters. And all of a sudden you come to this verse, and it seems like God stops everything in its tracks. And he talks about this man named Hiel who had re- tried to rebuild Jericho at the cost of his, his children. Okay? And then when things, it's like, okay, can anything get any worse? And then all of a sudden you look at chapter 17 and verse 1. And who are we introduced to? Elijah the prophet. What's the point of this? First uh, Kings 16.34, this verse serves as a hinge or as a seam between the wickedness of the kings of Israel and then the appearance now of Elijah and Elisha. It's kind of all this bad news and it's building you up for a, a mighty moment. And here enters God's man, Elijah. Pretty amazing how it's, it's structured that way. The wickedness here in Israel, reached its peak during the reign of King Ahab. If the, and here's the point. Why did God send a prophet? If the kings would not follow the Lord and lead by example, then God would send his prophets to call the people to follow him. So God would be the king of their lives. Think of that. All these kings, Ahab, Jeroboam, uh, Omri, the list goes on and on. They were doing a miserable job of leading their people to follow the ways of the Lord. They weren't doing it themselves. And what does God do? God, in his mercy, sends prophets to get people's attention. So here's the point as we look at this. As this verse is a seam, as a, as a hinge between two parts of the stories now. As we look at this, this verse here, the rebuilding of Jericho. Why did he all build Jericho? Number one, he did it under the reign of King Ahab with Ahab's approval. We know he's a wicked king, Okay. But we see here that this rebuilding of Jericho was done in opposition and even unbelief to, Jer- to Joshua's curse found in Joshua chapter 6. Remember, he who builds this will be at the cost of his children. So here's the point. Rejecting God's ways brings serious consequences. Rejecting God's ways brings serious consequences. By the way, what was the time period between Joshua's conquest and what we have here in 1 Kings? It was just about 400 years that had gone by. In other words, God's, God's um, orders was still there. The builder, Hiel, from Bethel, paid a great price for disregarding Joshua's curse to rebuild Jericho as a walled city and the death of his sons. Now, by the way, Jericho was still off and on inhabited. We find, for example, in the book of Judges chapter 3, we have the, the, um, the uh, works of Ehud, for example, that took place with Eglon, the king of Moab, that took place at Jericho, or the city of the palm trees. Later on, when uh, David uh, f- had to flee from Absalom, he actually camped a little bit at, at, uh, at, at Jericho as well. So there was a place there, you've got to remember that. But nonetheless, to rebuild Jericho as a walled city, this resulted in the death of his sons of Hiel. This was under the leadership, like I mentioned, of Ahab, who failed to care for his people. And how Israel at that moment needed men and women of God. Now enter Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. Now we come back to 2 Kings chapter 2. 
As we see here in the book of Second uh, uh, Kings, chapters 1 and 2, we have really a transition in ministry. A transition from Elijah uh, to Elisha. Elijah, a great man of God, he was taken up in a whirlwind uh, into heaven, as we see that. But as we notice here the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, we, there's a comparison that is worth noting. And I want us to view that in light of something that happened again, about 400 years ago, and that was the ministry between Moses and Joshua. The transition that occurred with Moses and Joshua, you find a similar uh, setting here with Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Like I mentioned uh, last week, when we look at the Bible, notice how similar themes kind of repeat themselves later. And like I said, sometimes if you read a good book or see a movie and you see the sequel, if you read that sequel, it helps by seeing the, the thing that first came out, okay? Uh, Lord of the Rings, for example, if you understand how the storyline, if you understand how it began in the beginning, the second book or third book makes more sense. And that's what you see here. You see a pattern that's developing. Again, this is kind of helping us read our Bible in under that. So again, let's compare the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And again, keep that in the back of your mind, the transition that occurred between Moses and Joshua. It's interesting here. Here we are, the location of where we are at here in 2 Kings 2. We are at the Jordan River, okay? Uh, and so as Elijah is just about to be taken up into heaven, as they're, they're about ready to cross. So here's the thing. Moses and Joshua parted their ways near Jordan and Jericho. Even so, Elijah and Elisha parted ways near that same place. We see also when Moses... Had died and God buried him. That Moses desired, or excuse me, that Joshua desired God's presence, and so even so, Elisha desired God's power, even as Elijah experienced. Look with me in Second uh, uh, Kings two verse nine, and uh, actually let me let me start in verse um, verse eight. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that the two went over dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, over the Jordan, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Okay? So, again, Elisha wanted, again, that double portion, think of it not as... Uh, double in quantity, but really is, uh, think of it as like the birthright. The, the, the birthright that was given usually to the, to the oldest son, for example, it would be a, definitely a greater portion, if you will, and a greater honor. So that's it's important to keep in mind here. And so Elijah, Elisha did receive that, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Another comparison that we have is here that Joshua and the children of Israel, they mourned after the death of Moses, when Moses was taken from them. Even so, Elisha and the sons of the prophets, they mourned for Elijah. In fact, it mentions that Elisha actually rent his clothes completely when Elijah was taken up away into heaven. We also see here in the comparison between Joshua and Elisha that they, their names carry a similar meaning. We don't see that in English, but in, in Hebrew it's very vocal. The word Joshua, the name Joshua means the Lord saves, Yahashua. And then you have Elisha, Elisha, means God saves. It's very similar in its, in its mention. We also see here that Elisha and Joshua ministries both began at Jordan and Jericho. Their first step in ministry was at Jericho. 
It's interesting, Joshua takes the children of Israel, and of course we know the walls came tumbling down at Jericho. And even so, after Elisha crosses the Jordan River, what does he do? First place he goes to is Jericho and heals the waters. Very interesting. You see how the story kind of repeats itself. There's like a cycle that bears in mind. So it's important to understand that. These are allusions that go back to, to those original stories. But we see the comparison. But now I want to talk about the confirmation of the ministry of Elisha. This is so important before we get to the actual miracle. First of all, we see here, and we read it here in verse 9, that Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now understand this. And Elijah said this in verse 10. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So as we think about this, Elisha's request for a double portion of the spirit of Elijah was only something that God could give. He was asking for hard things. And Elisha knew that. Okay, Elijah knew that. I, I like the, uh, the comment that Alfred Edersheim uh, Jewish believer who made this comment that spiritual perception is ever the condition of spiritual work. In other words, we Elisha wanted God to work in him just as God had worked in Elijah, his predecessor. To be around people who are filled with the Spirit of God is contagious. And I think this is something that each and every one of us, I think we miss. It's one thing to have good fellowship when we come and we talk about the weather or, you know, gardening or whatever you want to talk about. But when we know that the Spirit of God is in our brother and sister or sister here in Christ, it should be contagious. We want to be around them. And we said, I want what God is doing in their lives. We should desire that as well. I think this is a spiritual wake-up call for each and every one of us. Don't be complacent just to say, hey, I went to church today. God's will for your life is not just to sit on a pew of Victory Baptist Church. I want more than anything that God's Spirit would work in and through you for His glory. And that other people would notice that. And they would trust in a wonderful God and enjoy the waters of mercy. This is what we look at today. Spiritual perception is ever the condition of a spiritual work. What do you see spiritually? As we think here, the initial works, now that Elisha, Elijah is being taken up in heaven, now begins the work of Elisha. And the initial works of Elisha served as a confirmation of his ministry as a prophet. He received Elijah's mantle, which were kind of a symbol or the visible credentials of a prophet. Okay? Remember later on, uh, John the Baptist, he kind of dresses a little bit like Elijah. He wears that, that mantle, if you will, in the wilderness. But more importantly, we see than anything that upon Elisha now was the power of God that rested upon him. And this was a blessing. So as we consider this now, now we begin here. And, and by the way, as Elisha is taken up in heaven, and now beginning in verse 19, uh, we actually the first, first uh, thing that happens is Elisha passes back over the Jordan and he takes Elisha's mantle and he strikes the water and he parts the, the, the river Jordan. It's pretty amazing that same, similar thing happened in a couple places. Remember, first of all, when uh, Moses takes his rod at the Red Sea. And what? It parts the waters, okay? And then also we see here when the children of Israel cross over the Jordan back 400 years ago under Joshua, the priest stepped foot with the Ark of the Covenant, and it opens. Very similar themes that are going on here in this passage here. But we see here 
that the works of Elisha the prophet begin with the parting of the waters of the Jordan. Verses 14 and 15 say, And he took the mantle of Elijah that, the, that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And they had also smitten the waters and parted thither and thither, and Elisha went over. And here's important. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Okay? And then all of a sudden they got missing Elisha and they went for a big search for, for Elijah, but he was nowhere to be found because God took him. That's a little bit of the story there. But the audience here, God does these works. Why? So people in would see that. And the audience specifically on that miracle was that the sons of the prophets saw exactly what was God, what was going on. Because now they understood that just as God's power was upon their former teacher, Elijah, now it's upon their new teacher, Elisha. This is something that could not be missed. Here's something else to consider. As we think of the second work now, now starting in verse 19, Elisha comes into the city, to Jericho. And the men of the city come to Elisha. And, of course, the work here is the healing of the waters. And the audience here is the people of Jericho. The audience here is now the people of Jericho. Here's one thing to keep in mind. As we look at these first two miracles of Elisha, and you look at the rest of his life uh, that's mentioned here in the book of 2 Kings, wherever Elisha went, he left the place and the people better. Think about that. Wherever Elisha went, he left the the place, and the people better. And you see that over and over throughout the work of the ministry of Elisha. Pretty amazing. But what was the situation going on here? Again, it says here, Behold, I pray thee, in verse 19, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, or, or is bad, and the ground is barren. Okay? So we have a contrast here. We have a pleasant or a, a good land, and then we have bad water and a barren land. And so, as we, we see here, again, I mentioned a moment ago, according to Matthew Henry, that water is a, is a common mercy. It's something that we kind of take for granted, but God gives us water to enjoy. You, you got up this morning, you had a drink of water, took a shower, whatever it is. You enjoy the common mercy of water. But now, when it goes bad, what do you do? Now, as we see this verse here, that the bad water, some commentators believe that this was probably an effect of the curse of Joshua from Joshua chapter 6. It's hard to say that definitively, but in nothing else, at least for quite a while, that the water of Jericho had gone bad. Okay? And so, this is kind of ironic. The, the name Jericho itself, the meaning of Jericho means fragrant. And when you think of the balsam trees, the sycamores, the date palms, and other plants that are there, it, there's a fragrant atmosphere that is there. Okay? But as you see this here, that the water is not or is bad and the ground is barren. The word barren here has the idea, is, the literal translation is miscarrying. In other words, there's nothing that could do it. It would never produce anything fruitful. And so that was the result of the bad water. There was virtually life was stagnated, as you see here. And this is, doesn't that really bode to the spiritual condition of Israel during that time? There was not much for spiritual growth. Very little being done to, to thrive on, to live on. No hope, as it seemed. That's where God works in the greatest ways. Praise God for that. But now let's focus our attention on the miracle of mercy on this water. We see here, what does Elisha do? He says in verse 20, and he said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein, and they brought it to him. 
And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and he cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters, and there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land, or miscarrying land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Okay? So as we see this, one thing that happened here, Elisha takes, it says a cruise, or in, in Hebrew it's uh, salachat, which is, literally means plates or vessel. But as he takes it, he takes this and he takes salt and then he casts it upon the waters. In doing that, he reversed the curse that was upon Jericho. And so now there is new life. There is new water. As one rabbinic commentator says this, that Elisha threw salt there. Now, it's interesting. If you put salt in water, the commentator says, is not, now is not salt a thing that spoils water? I mean, if you had a glass of water this morning, you probably didn't dump a whole bunch of table salt in there to drink it. Unless you're on some type of weird diet, you know. <laughs> but nonetheless, we don't normally do that. But here, here's the thing. This is really, as they say here, a miracle within a miracle. Something salty that purifies water. This is a miracle within a miracle. The miracle of Elisha's spring here, it comprised of three things. First of all, it comprised salt, which signified purity, altering the water. The also, the another thing that it was comprised of was the words of the prophet, and then, of course, ultimately, what changed the water? It was the power of God. Another thing that's important to note here is that salt, another way that salt was used in Old Testament times was what was called the salt of the covenant, or the covenant of salt in Numbers chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 2. And so the salt that was used there uh, basically came upon a, a heave offering that was, would take in place. And this signified permanence or eternality and God's uh, goodwill towards men. It was like a type of fellowship or even hospitality that God would bring. In fact, uh, some commentators uh, have alluded that in ancient days, as someone shared salt with you, that was a sign of true hospitality uh, because you're sharing in something that's permanent and that purifies as well. As we think about this, the effect that salt did in this, in the miracle, it wasn't necessarily the salt that healed the water. It was simply the means that God used through the man of God. God had the power to change that. But here's the thing. As we look at our own lives and your own springs, if you will, within your own life, one commentator says this. If God cast into the fountain of our hearts one cruise of salt of his spirit, we are made whole. If we have not the streams of divine blessing in abundance, we may have enough to refresh, to heal, and to fertilize. How, are, how is the fountain of your own heart? That's the thing. You see here, the healing of the waters. Remember, the audience here is the people of Jericho. And from this, the waters of mercy, the healing of the waters, were an encouragement to the people of Jericho. They saw the hand of God through the man of God. And this miracle helps us realize that God is ever-present in help in times of trouble. And here's the point. May we seek him while he's near. But what was the purpose of the waters of mercy. What was the purpose of this miracle? Well, like I said, the works of Elisha and even the crossing of the Jordan, the healing of the waters, what, the works of the Elisha here serve to tell us that God is present at work even though wickedness in the country abounds. Think again. It was Ahab under his reign that things went, of course others too, but especially with his reign, it was just everything was going bad. But God is work at work, even though wickedness abounds. So what should we do today? 
today, instead of just reminiscing on what God did in the past, sometimes you go to church and all they talk about is the good old days. Oh, remember when this happened. Remember when that took place. When, and it's good to remember those things. But if we stay there, we're not moving anywhere, are we? Or sometimes we end up doing wishful thinking. Oh, if God would only do this. Oh, if only this would happen. Kind of wishful thinking about the future. But I like what said uh, Nate Wright, our missionary in Uganda. He was here last Sunday and I had a great time with him. And he challenged the church. And I'm kind of using his words here. He looked at this. He says, what is God already doing? The present. What is God already doing? Sometimes we take it for granted. What God is already doing in your life and in mine and in this church and this community. In other words, God is working in the present. So here's the point. When you see the miracles being done here, be encouraged in the works of God. Be encouraged in the works of God. Trust God because he is there. He is present. You know, as we think about this and the healing of the waters that happened there at Jericho. Centuries later, at the Jordan near Jericho, there was one that came in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist. Here he baptized Jesus. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah to announce the coming of one whose shoe latched I am unworthy to unloose. God's presence and blessing. Here's the thing. Let's kind of bring this whole story in perspective, beginning at Joshua. As God's presence and blessing were upon Joshua, remember the Ark of the Covenant was there, and upon Elisha, he has Elijah's mantle, the symbol of a prophet, and now upon Jesus, who is had the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And God says, considering all these activities, and he points to Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The challenge that we have today as we look at this passage here is that through the prophet Elijah, God gave waters of mercy to Jericho. This is a great illustration again of our spiritual condition that we have. Because of the curse of sin, we cannot bear the fruits of righteousness just as the waters of Jericho for that time, they were worthless. In this, Elisha poured salt to purify water at its source. Even so, we cannot deal with sin or our sin nature just at its symptoms. A lot of times we want to curb uh, violence or things that are going on, corruption, and we kind of look at the symptoms of that. But there's a deeper problem the deeper problem is our hearts. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But it is the Lord that searcheth the hearts. He's the one who tries us. Even so, as we think of Elisha going to the source of the water, even so, our sin must be dealt with at its source, at your heart and at my heart. Jesus, a greater than Elisha, died on the cross for our sins, to take our sins away, to give us forgiveness and hope and healing that no one else can give you. The world system, no matter what, what, what pleasures there are out there, nothing can truly satisfy and take care of your heart. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He deals with the source at our heart. And by trusting him, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have new life. And you can drink, as we sang earlier, springs of living water. Happy now am I, my soul, satisfied. Doesn't it make a difference when you drink at the springs of living water? Elisha's spring at Jericho is truly a sign of God's waters of mercy. But my question is to you today. Have you received God's water of mercy? Maybe you are kind of like Hiel and the others who try to rebuild Jericho and try to go on living under, basically in wickedness. Kind of like, just, we'll just go with the flow. 
You know what? There are people, and this is something I admire. There are people in this city that came to Elisha and says, we want something different. We need the hand of God upon us. And they reached out. They cried out for God, and God sent his man there. The thing is this. Do you understand your spiritual condition? Each and every one of us were born sinners. Each and every one of us were born with a want to sin. I mean, how many of you, when you're growing up, how many of your parents taught you to do wrong? Now, there might be one or two out there, but generally speaking, you don't teach your kids to do wrong. They kind of learn that out by themselves, don't they? But teaching them to do right is another thing. But the thing is, within our hearts, there's nothing good in and of us by ourselves. And we desperately need the waters of mercy in our life. And only Jesus Christ can touch that water and purify it and make us functional again. This is a challenge for each and every one of us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have that hope, that forgiveness of sin that only He could bring. There's nothing you can do to work for it, pay for it. You can't even, even if you lived in the church, all right, that doesn't guarantee you that your heart will be pure and clean. You must cry out to God for help and receive the message of forgiveness from Him. Jesus Christ loved you. He died for you. He's buried and rose again the third day triumphant over sin and death to give us those waters of mercy. And he says, come, come and partake. And guess what? You don't have to go all the way to Jericho to find that out. You can find that right here in the word of God. Praise God for that.